0: Paul finishes out Colossians, one of the things that is amazing about Paul is as you read um, Colossians, you'll see here any of his books that Paul wrote, any of his epistles in the New Testament, he keeps a form and a structure through all of his books that you can kind of highlight. Think of, you know, as a kid, you're kind of taught to write a five-paragraph essay, how you have your introduction, your three points, then your conclusion. It's amazing, even in Paul's ancient writings, he followed somewhat of that same, that same structure where you'd have his greeting, then his thanksgiving section, and you can read through that. You know, chapter one, it was his greeting and his thanksgiving. Then the next following chapters was kind of his body of his, his book, where he was giving all of the good theology nuggets all throughout that. And then at the end of each one of his books, he always has an instruction section. We'll call it you know, an ethical instruction section. That's where we're going to be today in our last sermon on Col- on, uh, in Colossians. And Paul starts his conclusion to the, the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to read these uh, verses here, verses 2 through 5, uh, and kind of highlight the things that Paul was asking the church at Colossae to do that we need to do as well. So let's read here, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. He's writing this book to the church as he's in chains in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time so we see here really three commands that paul gives the church here in these last this last chapter of colossians he says first of all he says pray for us pray for us as i'm here in chains he's asking them really to pray for three things in these these four verses he says really pray for wisdom to fulfill the gospel obligations verse four he said there that i'm May make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He's saying, Give me, pray for me so I know how to share the gospel. As he's sitting in prison in chains, he's saying, Pray for me so I know how to tell others about Christ. His, his mind, his focus was not on his present circumstances and the struggles that he was presently in, but he was praying to know how to share. gospel. Paul wanted wisdom to know how to fulfill the particular ministry obligations that God had given to him. As we've seen, Paul believed that he had been given a particular personal assignment in the kingdom of God. And in chapter one, he called it a commission or a stewardship. We looked at that the first week, something only given to him, something that if he didn't do, it wouldn't get done. He took responsibility for it. And we see throughout Paul's letter that Paul believes that every single one of us has this same stewardship or commission that God has given to us. We all have certain gifts, talents, resources to use to build up the body of Christ and for the great commission. So that's the first thing Paul prays for, wisdom to perceive and fulfill his gospel obligations. You know, don't you find it encouraging as a believer that Paul feels like he needs God to give him clarity about what his assignment is? Because I've felt that way sometimes in life. If we're honest and we're true with ourselves, I think we've all had that same question. I find it encouraging because sometimes I don't totally feel like I know what I need to do. You know, we, we ask the question, what God do you actually want from me right now? Paul's asking God this question, God, God, where do you want me to go next? Who do you want me to minister to? And we have two primary sources of comfort in moments like that. First, you know, you think about it, the scripture talks about us so many times as sheep, that we are sheep. And as I've explained to you, sheep, a lot of times, if you know how a sheep acts out in the pasture, a sheep is really a helpless idiot. And that's what we are so many times we just wander around like a sheep chasing every little thing here and there not knowing where we are going left to themselves a sheep always will face and find trouble that's what a sheep does sheep need a shepherd to guide them and the good news is that we have a shepherd we have the holy spirit as believers that is inside of us, that gives us and guides us to all truth, is what Scripture says. So that's our first comfort. Our second comfort is that throughout the Bible, God repeatedly demonstrates that he can use whatever instrument he wants to accomplish his purpose. So you can sit here today and say, you know what, my background, because of everything that I've been through, I am whatever you want to say, fill in the blank. I am not talented. I am damaged goods. I am, you know, whatever it is. You can take comfort in knowing that no matter what your past is, no matter what your current given skill set is, God can and will use that to accomplish his purpose. All he's asking is for a willing heart. I don't think there's anybody in here who has the past of Paul. I don't think anybody in here was known as a mass murderer for killing Christians. Well, I think I know all of you in here pretty well. I don't think there's anyone in here that has that past. That was the Apostle Paul. Paul could have used his past of the things, of the sins that he had committed, to prevent him from carrying out the gospel message, but he didn't. He was a willing vessel to be used by God. God had a purpose for Paul, and Paul prayed for wisdom to perceive what it was and the courage to fulfill it. And another thing we see Paul asking for prayer for is for ability to pursue new gospel opportunities. He said in verse three, that God may open to us a door for the word. By this point in his life, Paul had done a lot. He had been a lot of places, he had been on several missionary journeys, he had planted lots of churches. He had spent a lot of time in prison for telling others about Jesus. He had been before a bunch of Roman rulers. If there's anyone who could say in the history of the church, I've done my part at this point in my life, for the church, it would be the Apostle Paul. But here he is asking God to open new doors for the gospel. Jesus said, if there is just one that repents that there is more joy in heaven over the one that repents than the 99 who already belong to him. Which meant for Paul that as long as there was life and breath in his body, he'd keep reaching that one lost one. He was never done. He couldn't be. And I hope you understand that at this church, we believe that eternity is real and that lost people matter God. Every person you meet matters to God. He's still going after the one, so as long as we have the opportunity, we will keep serving and striving. So like Paul, we should be praying for God to bring before us or to open our eyes for that one that's already before us that God has already placed there to tell about Christ. third thing he asked for strength for for prayer for us, for strength not to waste gospel circumstance. He said in verse 3, for which I am in chains. That's his present circumstance. He's not wanting to waste the fact that he's in chains. Think about that for just a moment. How crazy and how counterintuitive that is to our American mindset that we have today. Paul sees his circumstances as divinely arranged, for the sake of the gospel. And he asked the Colossians to pray for strength, not to waste those chains. Now think about the times he's been in prison. You know, Paul and Silas were in prison, and they began singing hymns, and an earthquake took place. The doors flung open. The prisoners did not leave. Why? Because of the influence of Paul that night in the prison, sharing his faith. And the Philippian jailer came to Christ that next morning. Paul knew that his chains were the present circumstance that God put him in so God could get honor and glory in those circumstances. Most of you have never or will never be in chains. But what if you saw, many of us, I would say, think of whatever we have in life as figurative chains. The point is, what if all of us, regardless of our situation, saw those circumstances as divinely appointed circumstances? That's the promise of being a follower of Jesus. All the things in your life may not be easy, but they point and they can direct us to a gospel purpose. Maybe you're sick. Because God wants you to demonstrate to your family members and friends or even your doctor that we have a hope that goes beyond physical sickness. One of the authors that I've enjoyed reading throughout the years, famous author, is uh, an author named John Piper. And he wrote a famous book that said, Don't Waste Your Life. And he came down with a cancer diagnosis, you know, several years after writing that book, and then he proceeded to write a follow-up to Don't Waste Your Cancer. Going back to the same idea of God puts those circumstances in your life that we can view as chains in our life, or we can view them as a gospel circumstance. How can God get glory through the circumstances in our lives? Maybe we look at it as our chains or something like we didn't make the team or we didn't get the job that we wanted. And we have the opportunity to show that our identity is not made up in the the sports that we play or our job. We have a better and more secure identity as a child and a servant of God. Maybe you didn't get the raise or the promotion Because God wants to teach you the value of the things that really matter, and to learn to be content in him. Paul was in chains, but he was still looking for what God was doing. He saw every setback that we would perceive as a setback, as really a set up from God. God is setting him up for what he wants to do in his life. How do you look at the struggles in your life? Do you look at them as chains? Or do you look at it as a gospel opportunity? When it comes to generosity, you should ask yourself, why has God put you in the circumstance that he's put you in? Have you ever asked why he has allowed you to have a great job? Have you ever asked why he has given you the ability to provide and meet more than the needs for your family? Why has God done this? Maybe it's because he wants to use you and the resources that he has provided you to accomplish his mission on this earth. One of my favorite unknown Christian history stories is that of a man named Humphrey Monmouth. How'd you like to have that name? That's a tongue twister of a name. Humphrey Monmouth. And many of you have heard of the name of William Tyndale. William Tyndale was the person who translated the first bible into english from the original greek and hebrew now the there was a lot of persecution that they did not want that bible translated into the english language and he said i my goal and my wish is that the boy plowing the field could read god's word because up until that point because it was only in latin only the priest could read god's word And he said, I believe that everyone should be able to read God's Word and allow it to impact their life. And so that was his mission. That was his goal. He faced a lot of persecution. But Humphrey Monmouth was a, a merchant, a big businessman in England. And he shared that same conviction. And he was funneling money... He was a merchant that would bring in cloth or um, materials to make fine clothing. So he'd bring them from Europe, ship them over from Europe into England, and he was using his business to then funnel money to William Tyndale to complete the translation and then print the Bible. This was early printing press, so printing a Bible was very expensive back then. But Henry was underground funneling money to William Tyndale to print God's word. So as the rich people in England were buying his material to make their fine clothes, they didn't realize that really they were funneling money for the translation and printing of God's word. And even better yet, at this point, William Tyndale had had to flee England and go to mainland Europe where he was completing his work. And Humphrey Monmouth, was taking translations of the Bible, wrapping them in his cloth and in his materials that he was shipping, wrapping Bibles, English translated completed Tyndale Bibles, back to England. Think about that. Not everyone on this earth will be a preacher, will be a missionary, but there are ways that as businessmen, businesswomen, that you can still have an impact on the mission of God. God put Monmouth into Tyndale's life at just the right time. Is it really a stretch to think that God does the same thing today? No, it's not. He gives some people the vision like Tyndale and he gives others the resource, resources to do that, to carry out that vision. That was Monmouth. Are you what the world calls successful today? You should say, God has sovereignly arranged my success for gospel kingdom purposes. Am I using it that way? Am I using it that way? On the flip side, maybe you're not in a season of financial abundance. And because of that, you're not in a place to give large financial gifts. You know, listen, Paul would be one of the first to say, listen, don't beat yourself up about that. Paul says in Corinthians that you can't give what you don't have, and God is the one who ultimately controls prosperity. I read recently, and it said, when God Abrahams me, if you remember, Abraham was a very wealthy man in the Old Testament. When God Abrahams me, when he multiplies and blesses me, I want to be faithful to that. But when God jobs me, if you remember, Job was the one who lost everything, lost all of his wealth. I want to also be faithful in that. Wherever it is that I God is blessing me or I find myself in a struggle, I want to be faithful. Faithfulness is in either of those seasons looks different, but you can put Jesus first in both seasons. So Paul's first instruction and in his conclusion was pray for me. that he be able to make Jesus and his kingdom first in everything his gospel obligations, his gospel opportunities, and his gospel circumstances. And his last two, which will be a lot shorter than number one, you know, he says, you know, as we we finish out this book, he's asking for prayer in these areas. So I want to ask you all as a church, what is it that you're praying about? Are you praying for things outside of your small circle right here, right now, your family's health and wealth and present circumstances? Or are you praying not inward, but outward? Are you praying, looking for how can I be an impact to the kingdom of God for those around me? So he's asking for prayer. That's the first thing. Second thing is he says, act wisely. After you prayed for clarity, act wisely means being aware of precious time and the brief moment you have to accomplish what God wants. Our time is precious. It's the kind of wisdom that the psalmist prayed for. In Psalms 90, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. He's saying, teach us to realize how short and precious life is really is help us to grasp the right priorities are we living with that kind of wisdom we are where we are acting wisely have you perceived the brevity of life and the preciousness of those few moments that we have in it are you working and living life with a gospel focus you know sometimes when you're young it seems like life will go on forever i can tell you students that this last semester from spring break to the end of school, will feel like an eternity. It'll feel like even longer for the teachers. It's going to feel like forever. But take every moment precious. Realize that every day is a gift from God. As you get later in life, you realize how short and how precious and how fast life is really moves. The, the philosopher said, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Last time I checked, the death rate in America is still one for one. There's not one person who's ever been born, that lives for eternity. You know, Rachel, this past week, we're looking at some of the old videos of our kids, of Jack and Callie, as they were little, and we, we just sit there and we think, man, how do we have two teenagers in the home now? Where did time go? They were so small, so cute and precious. It's just life moves so fast. You know, we were watching an old sitcom together. And I don't know if you guys have ever gone back and watched an old sitcom and see the, you know, the characters from that day, how they were like, the, the, the cool people of the day and how you know, most of the time they were very handsome or very pretty. And then you go back like, you know, this 30 or 40 years passed by and you see like one of those things of, look at, how, uh, you look at so-and-so now. And you're like, oh man, they don't look good anymore. Yeah, I, I know we've all, we've all seen those, those before. And you know, sometimes we forget that, yeah, that much time has passed for us too. Yeah, we don't look the same that we did back in, in, in that time. You know, Isaiah says that our earthly things, earthly lives are like things written in the sand the tide washes away. On the blip of eternity, that's about how long our life is. Or grass, green and beautiful one season, but gone the next, replaced by something else. John 9, 4 says, work while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. We are to work today. We are to invest today. Only two things in life really last forever. It's the word of God and the souls of men. That's it. Nothing else in this life will last forever. And I think we, you know, in in times like this, when we're going into an economy like it is today and everything on the news is inflation, 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 you know, everywhere you turn, that's the, the, the phrase that you're hearing. And, and we're feeling it, and we're seeing it. We go to buy groceries, and we go to the gas pump, and all of these things, and we see that our money is worth less than what it used to be worth. And we see, you know, however, you know, your 401k dipping, and you think, man, it's not worth as much as what it used to be worth. There's only two things in life that last forever. The Word of God and the souls of men. That's it. Are you investing your life there? Because if you're investing your life in anything else, it's only temporary. It will not last forever. That's what Paul says, means when he says, act wisely. Be aware of the precious time and make sure that you fulfill your role. By the way, the admonition to act wisely means, of course, it's possible to act foolishly. Acting foolishly means not taking eternity into account, not investing in things that last forever, spending your life climbing the ladder of success, only finding out that it's leaning against the wrong building. Working in a company only to really to get up to the next ladder, ladder on the rung of the corporate ladder and realize, man, this is not what I want. I've spent my whole life trying to achieve this. This is not what I want. Providing a comfortable life for yourself, only to enter to eternity with nothing. It's the old phrase that we don't get, we're not, we're, we're not afforded the ability to take a U-Haul to heaven. We take nothing with us. Nothing we take from this life will go in to eternity. Acting foolishly means spending your life focused on all of the things temporal things around us, whether that's trying to make your your life secure through finances, leaving a big pile of money for your kids one day, none of that, none of the accumulation of stuff or assets here in this life, they will mean nothing in eternity. Are you imparting the word of God into your family, and are you teaching them to invest in the souls of men and women? Those are the two things. Those are the two things that you need to leave your kids with in this life. Last of all, he says, stay alert. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. As much as Paul has accomplished, he is always on the lookout for what God wants to do next. The old phrase that I read a while back in a book that a famous author that I like reading, says, never put a period where God puts a comma. Never put a period where God puts a comma. Paul knew God wasn't done. Jesus cared about the one who was wondering. The one who needed Christ. You know, Bethel, God has done some amazing things in the life of our church throughout the years. And for many churches coronavirus was a period. They're no longer in existence. They have closed up. But for our church, it was just a comma. God is going to do and he is doing some great things in the life of our church. And I'm excited about this next season. We've got new people on Weatherby, on Landstar. They're coming in droves. You guys see the buildings that are coming in. You know, if you even you go out Lake Nona way, it's crazy how many people that God is bringing into our community that need Christ. God has uniquely positioned us. We have new lives to reach that need change, that need brokenness to heal. You know, there may be some here today who look at their life and they think, you know, my life is at the end. Or you might be thinking that my life is like those chains. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it is a divorce. Maybe it's in this economy. It's the loss of an investment. And you think, I'm done. I'm broken. I'm over. And God's saying, no. No, that's just a comma in your life. I've got a whole rest of the story of your life that I want to tell. Rachel and I, this past week, we had the ability to go out and eat dinner with a, a missionary that we've known for years. has been a friend of the family. He was in town getting ready to fly out on Sunday evening. And, you know, I like to take opportunities to eat with some of these guys because I want to go and be a blessing to them, but inevitably they're always a blessing to me and just listening to their lives. And this guy' name was uh, Cliff McGee, and he was kind of telling us a little bit. I was asking about his story about, you know, his life. Cliff is a, an older missionary, and... Um, You know, he, out of college, he planted a church in Corpus Christi, Texas, and, you know, planting the church, he was bivocational, and uh, after the Korean War, he felt God really impacting his life to go and start planting churches in Korea, because Korea was an open country at that point, you know, just ravaged by war. And so he left, went over to Korea, learned the Korean language, took his wife and his kids, um, and worked in Korea for 12 years. And planted five churches. His wife got sick. They had to come home to get medical treatment. While he was home in Austin, Texas, it was just a comma in his life. While in Austin, he said, I'm gonna plant another church while the two years my wife is getting medical treatment. So he planted a church in Austin, Texas. And at this point in the nation of Korea, they were no longer allowing American missionaries back into the country. And so he was unable to go back to Korea, even though he had planted five churches there who were churches that were now planting churches. So he had a large network of churches in Korea, but he couldn't go back. And so he said, God, what do you want of me? Where do you want me to go? At that time, he knew of no missionaries going to Ecuador. So he said, I'm going to go to Ecuador. He went to Costa Rica for nine months, learned Spanish. After learning Korean, he learned Spanish. At this point, he's in his 40s. And he goes to Ecuador and starts planning churches in Ecuador. He's there planting churches, churches, that then plant churches. If you know anything about the geography of Ecuador, it's kind of like at the start of the Amazon basin, like all of the waters from the mountains and the Andes kind of flow down to create the Amazon. And so he was telling us about the, the, the missions that they have out into the jungles with the Indians. Like how, Like, how far do you, deep do you go into the jungles? And he goes, well, we'll go as deep as Spanish carries us. He goes, if you go too deep, they're speaking their own tribal dialect. And he goes, we can't be much, you know, we can't do much if they don't speak Spanish. Because, like, every little tribe has their own dialect. He's like, we just can't learn all of these different ones. So we'll go as deep as Spanish will carry us, which is pretty deep. Um, We're sitting there over dinner. And I asked him, it's like, you know, Cliff? McGee, how many churches have you planted? And his response to me last week, he said, not enough. Not enough. He's 86 years old. He goes to Ecuador two months. He comes home to Springfield, Missouri for two months to take care of his wife. He's got some grandkids there that take care of her while, she, while he's gone. And he goes back for two more months. His son is there in Ecuador also helping with the ministry. While he's home in the States, he's on Zoom calls, training the pastors, strategizing to the next village. Then they're going to go play in a church. there are two things in this life that last forever that matter. And Cliff McGee understands that. It's the word of God and it's the souls of men. And I pray that we as a church get that. Nothing else matters. Let's pray that, like Paul, Paul, No matter where we find ourselves, what chains that we think that life is holding us down in, that we look at that as a gospel opportunity for God to get honor and glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this great book. We thank you that the Spirit impressed it upon Paul to write it. God, as Paul challenged the church at Colossians, God, may we pray. Pray for gospel wisdom. Pray for gospel opportunities. God, may we act wisely, knowing That our time is limited. And that only two things matter. God, I know that there are a lot of people that face life thinking that their life is done, that they're useless. They put a period there because of whatever may have happened to them in their life. God, I pray that we'll look at life like Cliff McGee, a life full of commas. Though we say, God, what do you want to do with me next? How can I impact your kingdom? Knowing that until we take our last breath and we leave this earth, you're still wanting to use us. God, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus. We thank you that he gave it all for us. May we live our life in honor and glory and service of him. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please shoot us an email at info at mybethel.cc.